This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is a platform that helps growth-focused e-commerce brands drive more sales with super-targeted, highly relevant email, Facebook, and Instagram marketing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Justin Brady. He's a podcaster, writer, and communications leader. He's also the founder of an emerging tech PR communications company called Cultivate Strategies. So welcome to the show, Justin. John, I'm happy to be here. This is exciting for me. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed being on your show a few weeks ago, I think it was, as well. Yeah, we did like a show trade. That was fun. Yeah. So uh, let's just... Uh, we were talking uh, before I started here. I think I'm going to call this a smorgasbord show. We're just going to talk about a number of PR-ish <laughs> topics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you know what's funny? Um, I, I you know I've been doing this for a long time, um, and uh, back in the days when you know I I knew I knew editors and I knew writers uh, on you know at publications and we pitched them stories and that you know in a lot of ways that was a lot of. <laughs> For small business, anyway, that was a lot of what PR was. It uh, kind of changed. Uh, how, how would you, what, how would you describe sort of the quintessential, you know, PR practitioner uh, today? The quintessential PR practitioner, or like the practice? Well, e- either way, I mean, how, how does how does the practitioner go about doing their practice effectively? Got it. Yeah, you know, I think the mo- the thing that's most overlooked in that is Matt. Just it's it's pretty simple. Match a great story to the perfect journalist. And really, I am not a traditional PR comms guy. I kind of fell into it accidentally. And what I noticed was, I mean, I have a lot of emerging tech clients. I started out in design, slowly moved over to PR and communications. But um, my journey into PR and comms was basically when I wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, kind of by accident. And I started to get to know the industry from that side and realized, you know, people are doing this wrong. And because I started getting, when I wrote that article, as you know, you start getting thousands of pitches from journalists and never in my life had I seen more tone deaf pitches and they would just blast 20 paragraphs of junk that wasn't even relevant. So I think the most uh, simple way to say this, the most uh, quintessential PR pitching tool is know what your story is and know where to pitch it and know what time to pitch it. It, It's really, and, and keep it short. It's really not any more complex than that. Yeah. And I think that I think a lot of people lose sight of that. You know, people talk about, you know, getting mass pitches in email and, you know, trying to look for clients or even on like LinkedIn and stuff. And I, and I think that that's how you have to kind of look at it. This is this is a one to one sales job. <laughs> kind of. And uh, so, you you know, if you're just I, I got a pitch 10 minutes before I got on the call today for for from something completely irrelevant <laughs> to my yeah anything to do i mean it's like i don't know what list you bought but you know, I, right i shouldn't have been on it i i'm i can't tell you how many more cannabis pitches i can take i mean just stop sending me anybody listening please stop sending me cannabis pitches that's great and all but i just my, my email box is full of them i can't handle anymore so what I, you you kind of said it but i'm going to ask the the question directly um how do you, well, you, you wrote an article for wall street journal. Uh, but you know, if I want to get covered in the wall street journal, I've, you know, I'm an author. I, I have books come out. I'd love to have somebody review at the, at the wall street journal, one of my books. How, you know, how, how do I go about 
you know, pitching the big boys. Yeah, it's really relevance and timing. Um, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had for a client was I was just kind of listening to their podcast. It was it's actually Bloomberg, and I think they republish it as the Bloomberg P and L. But uh, it's Lisa Abramovitz and Paul Sweeney, and it used to be um, oh boy, his name's going to escape me. We'll get back to it later, but. Uh, I wanted my client to be on their show really, really bad. And so all I did was just start listening to their show constantly, every little thing. And one time they said they made some off the hand comment and I immediately emailed the show host and said, Hey, I noticed you said this comment. I just want, Oh, it was about like, um, Oh, what was it about? It was about, oh, skilled trade workforce and no one's figured that out yet. Blah, blah, blah. Something, some comment to that. And I immediately emailed him, found his, um, his address was published online. Didn't use a tool or anything to look that up. Just immediately emailed him and said, Hey, regarding your comment today about, I want to introduce you to my client because here's what they're doing. It was maybe a one to two sentence pitch and his immediate reply. And he's like, great, let's make this happen. That was it. So it really comes down to hyper-relevant, perfect timing. And the and here's the big thing everybody misses. The right person and making sure that you research them, you know who they are. It really comes down to be a human. Know the other human on the other side and pitch them what you think they would want. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, Justin, I don't have what they want. Well, then don't pitch them. <laughs> Do not, under any circumstance, pitch them if you have a story they don't want to hear, because that's never in a gajillion years going to work. So if you've written a book on uh, brick making and you can't identify anyone in the entire world that wants to write a story on that, uh, sorry, you you know you your only option is to identify a journalist who will want to write on that story, and of course, creating a compelling angle and a compelling story is a part of that too. Yeah, you, you made a comment that I want to um, reiterate uh, that that because you had researched this person, because you'd listened and, and let's face it, anything worth, you know, like a, a mention on that show is worth putting some time into uh, to get it. And, and Heck yeah. I think that, mm-hmm. that's true of everything. But because it was so relevant and because you listened, did your research, you were capable of writing a very short pitch. I think that that's another thing that people underestimate too. They think they want to tell the entire story because they haven't done the research. They, <laughs> they don't know that that person just needs to know, hey, here's something you're looking for. And I know it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think there's an other aspect to that too, though. When I, because we work, uh, I work with a lot of emerging tech companies. And so they have, um, they have a lot of incredible things they're up to. And, you know, for me, it's, it's just a natural ability. I, I can see this great concept. I know how to pitch it and, and get people to listen. But when I talk to entrepreneurs who maybe can't afford to work with me or they just have some questions, usually I tell them it's, you know, I give the metaphor, the example, I should say, about pitching an apple. Uh, if you're going to pitch this apple to a journalist, don't don't tell them everything about the apple in a single email. Don't say it's red and it has flesh inside. It has seeds. If you cut it this way and that, it tastes really great. You can cut it into wedges. You can cook apple dumplings with it. You can cook. Um, you can reduce it and put it in a marinade. You can don't go on and on and on. First, pitch the the color of the skin, then pitch the flesh flavor, then pitch the shape. 
then pitch the fact that there are seeds in it, then pitch one cooking recipe, then, you know, you just, uh, it's like deconstructing this puzzle. Don't pitch the puzzle, pitch the pieces. So you mentioned, or you told me a little bit about something that you pulled off um, and and you called it a major marketing event that you paid nothing for. <laughs> you want to have um, kind of unpacked that for us? Oh, are you talking about the creativity summit, uh, a creativity event? Yeah. 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 So this is, so I live in Iowa and at the time I was doing a design company, gr- graphic design. I ended up being really slow at it. The only reason I was any good for my clients is because I knew it was bad. And so I could just eventually hammer something, get it in the right shape and send it off to them. But one of the things I wanted to do was, um, uh, I, well, I mean, who doesn't want this, right? I wanted this massive event that I could put, put my name on, pitch myself to the entire region and, you know, uh, do it for free. Okay. <laughs> who doesn't want to do that? So I just. Sounds started... good so far. <laughs> Say again. I said, sounds good so far. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> so uh, I just put this harebrained idea today together. I'm going to bring a speaker in. I'm going to call it the Iowa Creativity Summit. At the time, Iowa was very risk-averse, insurance-focused, ag, banking. And I just didn't see a lot of stuff like this. Iowans are pretty smart. They're extremely intuitive. We're used to having presidential candidates come to our state for crying out loud. But um, I just wanted I wanted an event that would bring together creative ideas. So uh, I invented the I mean, it's the dumbest name ever, but the Iowa Creativity Summit. And I just thought previous podcast guest Matthew May. This is before the podcast, but I thought, you know, Matt, Matt will be a really good fit. So I asked Matt if he'd be willing to do it. He said, sure. And then I pitched the idea and the date to Drake University and a local university. They, if you watch the Democrat presidential debates, one of them was at Drake University. And they ended up saying, oh, we like this idea. Sure, we'll partner with it. We'll give you, um, we'll give you use of our space for free. And we'll give you a reduced cost on catering, something like that, I think. And once I had them, a respectable name, I started pitching it to, and some of the, there were three of them. So some of these sponsors are going to blend in. Um, you know, there were sponsors some years that weren't on other years. But once I started pitching this idea, Wells Fargo, uh, Principal Financial, CenturyLink, uh, a bunch of others ended up saying, sure, what the heck? And they ended up, you know, throwing in the money. And so I had this event. I went and got a bunch of earned media for it in the state, got all over the place. And I was the lead sponsor. And when it was all said and done, I think I actually did lose a little money on it. I think I lost $1, something like that. But I was the lead sponsor, right? And my company name was alongside all these giant Fortune 500 companies. And I brought in Matt and people had a great time. And I did not pay a single dime for it, but I got all that free earned media and got a lot of connections out of it. So that, you know, I think um, I didn't keep great um, records from back then. That was a long time ago, but I think it was somewhere around thirty to $50,000 event that I didn't pay a dime for. I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers. And this allows you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. There's powerful segmentation, email autoresponders that are ready to go, great reporting. You wanna learn a a little bit about the secret to building customer relationships? They've got a really fun series called 
Clavio's Beyond Black Friday. It's a docu-series, a lot of fun, quick lessons. Just head on over to Clavio.com Beyond BF, Beyond Black Friday. Let's switch to, to social media. Um, in the last, I don't know, let's say eight to 10 years, you know, it's really changed the landscape. You mentioned earned media. Um, you know, it's really changed the earned media landscape, I think. Uh, you know, all of the publications now are doing podcasting or on all the social platforms. Uh, what role do you think that plays for somebody trying to, you know, get their name, um, you know, in front of uh, people that, uh, that cover their business, their industry, their town? Gosh, that's a good question. Uh, especially right now, I'm kind of wondering what the future of social media even is because it's just this, I mean, it's this bizarre to me. I've been on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn forever, but it's just this bizarre, amorphous thing that kind of does what it wants when it wants. I see certain accounts grow completely overnight. Other accounts that I follow that have amazing information they post all the time don't seem to get anywhere. So, you know, it's, it's partially confusing, but one of the, I think the most standard use for this, or the most standard, I don't know what the right word is here, John, but um, the most uh, consistent thing is if you're able to connect on a deep emotional level with people out there and you're able to really find that niche, you seem to do quite well. And I think a lot of people are super scared to put them their true self out there because they think deep down inside, I have these unique ideas and I don't think there's anybody like me anywhere. You know, I, I think I'm kind of this lone crazy person. And so they don't put those ideas out there in fear that they won't be received. But when, when, in my opinion, the people who really do put the crazy ideas out there, the extreme ideas, those are the ones who really gather a following quickly. Because when it really comes down to it, your ideas probably aren't as crazy as you think they are. It's just that no one is repeating that out loud and people are waiting for someone else to say it first. So it seems like the people that are able to do that and be really, really bold, those are the ones that seem to drive followings. I was telling some young writers, it was a couple weeks ago, if you post stuff, if you're when you when you're posting stuff, whether it be an article or something on social, if you're not a little bit nervous posting that, something's wrong. All right, let's. Uh, I mentioned at the outset that uh, I was on your podcast. Uh, tell me, tell me what um, role the podcast plays in in your business, and and you know, I, I I'm. I think you're like me. You're you're a fan of podcasts. There's lots of uses for it. I'd love to uh, I'd love to kind of get your take on what it's meant for your business. For my business, it's put me in touch with people like yourself, John, uh, that are absolutely incredible movers and shakers. And you know, when I can tell people, well, I know John Jantz. It's I mean, come on, that you know, I look like a superstar by compare. You know, but just just for knowing you, you know. But that you know that is a big thing. Um, honestly. The podcast kind of started just for fun. I didn't really have a strategy or a purpose outside of I had been writing frequently for the Washington Post. And I interviewed some absolute, you know, John, as, as you, because you've written all over the place too. When you call, say, I'm writing an article for Inc. or I'm writing for Forbes or I'm writing for the Wall Street Journal or I'm writing for the Washington Post, people tend to, um, respond to calls a little bit more quickly. <laughs> and so um, I ended up 
interviewing just some fantastic people. And as you also know, John, when you write these articles, they have to go through editors and editors snip things they don't like or that don't work or that are maybe a little off topic. And so after that happened a few times, I was like, gosh, darn it. Like, these were really good interviews. And, you know, the editor was right. They didn't entirely fit what I was writing. But it, it's a shame that that interview and that knowledge was just simply lost forever. So I reached back out to a bunch of these people and said, hey, I'm starting a podcast. You you said some fantastic things. And it's a shame those didn't get permanently documented. Do you mind coming back and saying that on my recording on this podcast? That's basically how it started. And uh, in, in that way, I was able to capture all this data and capture all this information that normally I wouldn't have otherwise been able to capture uh, you know, it's it's opened up connections. You know, fast forward to today, I've interviewed you know Howard Schultz, uh, the you know founder of Starbucks. I've interviewed Blake Irving, the former CEO of GoDaddy. So it's opened up connections, but it's also opened up like a never-ending, bottomless content stream that allow. I mean, people are hitting my website constantly, and I'm getting inquiries all the time from people that there's just no way without that kind of content strategy and without that kind of, you know, obviously later I leveraged it for marketing for my own brand. But um, without that, there is no way I'd be getting the clients and the inquiries I'm getting today. There's just no way. Yeah, I uh, the the I was kind of the same way. I tell people all the time that uh, I didn't start my podcast because, so I'd have some big listenership or sponsors or anything like that. Uh, I really did it because it gave me a chance to talk to people I wanted to talk to. And uh, as you said, even you know, even if they hadn't heard of duct tape marketing, there's something there's something you know. I send all all my emails out in the subject line interview request, and there's just something about the call to be interviewed. <laughs> oh, you're, Oh my goodness. You're, you're totally hitting on it. So, um, can I inter- interject something really quick yeah, to what you just said? So this is a dirty little tactic and well, it's not dirty. It's honest, but this is a little tactic I've been, I'll give it to all your listeners for free. I don't talk about this because I don't want too many people replicating it and doing it all over the place. And you know, I don't want my competitive edge with a few of my clients lost. But you're, you know, I know the quality of person you are, John. Therefore, I know the quality of people that listen to this. One of the little tactics I've been doing for a few of my clients is because one of them has a tighter budget. And so I was like, I want to generate a lot of really relevant content for these folks. But you know, I have limited time. They have limited time. What we've been doing, and this this it lines up with what you just said, is I have been, they go to conferences all the time. That's one of their sales strategies. So what I do as a freelancer is I reach out to that conference or to a speaker at that conference. And I say, hey, I'm a freelancer and I'm writing for this company. I I just want to interview you and ask you a few questions. Is that okay? I would say about 20% of the time they respond favorably. So that's why, you know, ask three or four people at each conference. And when they inter- when they respond favorably, I do a Q&A with them and I run it as a Q&A. So therefore, all these movers and shakers in the industry that have massive social influence end up writing my content for me and I well or for my client rather and then we just publish that out there and then they share it because it was an interview. It's incredible what you just said, interviews open doors. So you had also mentioned that, you know, a part of this, I mean, content and SEO are, you know, pretty much uh, codependent. <laughs> and so 
So how does that, what you just mentioned, how does that play into kind of figuring out the the best way to write content um, if you're going to hopefully land in the search engines? So uh, we went through this awkward phase of, uh, and it's a sad, awkward phase where Google was figuring out how to do this right. And they're still trying to figure it out. But we went through this sad phase where content was king. And when I mean content was king, I just mean lots of content was king. And so we just had garbage articles everywhere. If you've ever, you know, done a Google search for like how to toast toast or something, something that should be really simple and should be like two sentences long. You get to one of these posts that's like, <laughs> toast was invented in 1875. But, you know, and you're like, what the heck is all this crap? Like, why? Do, I just wanted to toast toast. So like this is why they do it though because they need to hit, hit these thresholds and they need to hit a certain word count and they need to basically make the Google gods happy. And then you'll see the same repeated words over and over again and you're like, was this guy an idiot or drunk when he was writing this? And so this is like, we went through this dark phase of just more crappy content actually did kind of help you at least get in the search rankings. Those days are over. Google's smart enough now where content is no longer king, it's quality content is king. So great. And the, they're looking at original images because they have that, if you've ever answered the Google survey, like, is this an image of a cinnamon roll or a dog? You know, Google has intelligent systems now that can identify these photos. So any original photos, if you're getting original quotes, original information, and Google can't find this anywhere on the internet, so you're it's totally original. and if you're writing a nut graph really well, if you're get, if you're teasing people enough to get them to read down the page, if you're providing great content, if they're sharing that content, all these things now are starting to be rewarded. And I firmly believe, I can't prove it, I don't have any insider access, but I firmly believe that Google will start to reward shorter content in some capacity. Because, you know, you see um, some blogs that are like ultra short the writer is a genius, so they're able to compact like 2,000 words into like 200. So I firmly, I guess I should say, I firmly hope that that, you know, extremely short content will also get rewarded. But uh, I just tell my clients, you know, my content strategy summed up is I'm going to turn you into a world-class magazine. And we're going to write content that you would normally see in a world-class magazine. And I actually, one client quit because I was actually telling their leadership team to go out and interview people in their space and go out and find that content, do the research. And they just thought uh, we'd be generating content effortlessly. I was like, no, you guys got to put the time in. They didn't want to hear that. All right, Justin, speaking of time, we've come to the end of ours. Uh, tell us where people can find out more about you and your work. Well, if my voice hasn't turned you off or irritated you yet, please, everybody, go to justinkbrady.com slash podcast. You will see Mr. John Jance there. I have an interview with you, like you said, about a month ago, something like that. Or you can just Google me. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love everybody to subscribe to the Justin Brady Show. It's on every single podcast platform on your phone right now. Awesome. Well, Justin, thanks for stopping by and spending some time with us. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you soon out there on the road. John, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. 